And the rest of you can open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of Ephesians. We'll be in chapter 4 today, okay. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1. And as you turn there, you know, last Sunday we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, wasn't it a good Sunday? Can we just get a little, yeah. So, so, so good to worship together, so good to remember that Jesus, though he died on Good Friday for us in our place, he rose again three days later, conquered the grave that we might have life through him. But after Jesus was raised from the dead, we asked the question, then what? What happened after Jesus Christ was raised. Well, it seems that his disciples thought that now, Jesus, you conquered death. Now you're going to conquer our enemies. And they ask him this question in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, where they say, Lord, is it at this time that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? But Jesus answers and he says, look, I am going to push forward my kingdom in a way that you would not expect because I am not going to right now set up an earthly, physical, visible kingdom, but I am going to push forward my spiritual kingdom and I am going to do it not by ruling as a physical king just yet, but I am going to empower you. Because he goes on to say in verses 7 and 8 of Acts chapter 1, he says, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you... You disciples and you, my people, the church, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we find moving forward in the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament is that Jesus is good on his promise. Jesus is always good on his promise. And so when he says he will do something, he makes sure to do it. He does send the Holy Spirit to live inside of his followers and give them the power to live their life for God and to point other people to God. And so this same power from this same God who empowered Believers in Christ in the first century is still alive and working today. And he wants to empower us with everything we need to live the life he's called us to live. To encourage and build up one another and to advance his kingdom in the world. And so I am really excited today to start a new series. We're calling it Same God. The same God who was at work in the early church is the same God who is working today. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to look specifically at this truth of spiritual gifts. How God has gifted each and every one of us for the good of others to build up one another in our faith and to make Jesus known wherever we go. And today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and the APEST gifts. All right, that's APEST gifts. That's not, that's an acronym, okay. We're not talking about a bug here. All right, we found some bugs crawling in through the window yesterday. Marsha really loved that. Um, we're not talking about pests like you might find in your home, okay. We're talking acronym APEST. It stands for Apostles, Prophets, Evangelists, Shepherds, and Teachers. 
And as we jump into Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, we are going to see how Jesus gifts each one of us for the good of everyone. Okay? Someone just go ahead and say, that's me, all right? That's you, all right? That's it. Say it again. That's me. Jesus gifts everyone for the good of everyone. Let's look at what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4. Starting with the first six verses says this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How are you going to do it? This is how we do it. With all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, if we were to rewind just for a couple of moments and find out what Paul has already said in the first three chapters of Ephesians, we would find that he's detailing what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We would jump back to chapter 1 and see in verse 3 that God has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We've been predestined and chosen and adopted and forgiven and redeemed all because of the work of Jesus Christ. And now, as we saw last Sunday on Easter Sunday, we get to see with new spiritual vision, have new spiritual eyes. We get to know a different kind of hope and a different kind of love from God and a different kind of power. This is all because of God's grace that he's brought us this salvation. That though we were dead in our sins, now because of his great mercy with which he has loved us, he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. Now we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And not only has he reconciled us back to God and given us a a proper vertical relationship, but he's also changed how we relate to one another. So he goes on at the end of chapter 2 and he says, Jews and Gentiles, hey, you guys used to be enemies. Now you're friends. Now you're not only friends. You're family. You are united together through Christ. This is what God does. God brings people together. We see all the hate and the division and the conflict in the world. And we just need a little more Jesus out there because Jesus doesn't push people away from one another. Jesus pulls people together. And then Paul goes on in chapter 3 and talks about the the work that he's doing in unfolding the mystery of the gospel. And then he prays this amazing prayer. I wish we had time to look at it this morning where he says that the love of God is so expansive. It's so high and wide and long and deep in Christ that we just need to get to know it more and more and more. Because it changes everything. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we we, uh, look at everything. But now that he has told us all of what God has done for us and unpacked all of this theology in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he goes on in chapter 4 and he says, Now now that you know these things, you need to walk worthy of the calling you've received in Christ. And this is how you do it. You, you reflect the character of Christ. Humility, gentleness, patience. You bear with one another in love. Look at this in verse 3. I love this. He says you maintain the unity of the spirit. Like Pastor Reddy loves to point out with our staff team. It's not fighting for a unity that we don't have. But it's maintaining the unity that Jesus has already given us. 
right? We are one. We are united. We are family. We just need to strive to maintain harmony and peace in our relationships that only happens through the love of Christ. And Paul goes on to detail how, how unified we are. He says there's one body, one spirit. Just as we're called to that one hope that belongs to our call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But then when we get to verse 7, he shifts and he moves from talking about all of us and the unity that we enjoy through Christ. And he moves to talking about each one of us. And he says that God has gifted each one of us. If you follow Jesus, what we're going to see is God has gifted us individually so that even in our unity, there is a beautiful diversity. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, focusing in on verses 7 through 16. So let me pick up in verse 7 for us. Paul goes on, he says this, but grace was given to, here it is, each one of us. Somebody say, that's me. Say it like you mean it. That's me. That's you if you follow Jesus. Each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In ascending... In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. All right, I want to give you three cheers this morning. If you're taking notes, don't miss them. All right, number one, Jesus gifts us from the place of victory. I mean, this is so good. We are starting with Ephesians chapter 4 for a reason as we move through these seven weeks of a spiritual gift series because we need to understand that Jesus is the victor and he gives us, he distributes gifts from a place of victory. We, there's some important truths that I want you to see as we look at these verses here, particularly verse 7. We learn that Jesus is the giver. Jesus is the giver of every spiritual gift. There is not one spiritual gift in the Bible that any follower of Jesus will ever experience or exercise that is earned. All the gifts of God that are given through the Holy Spirit are gracious gifts. They are given according to God's sovereign wisdom as he works and orchestrates everything in our lives. Just as we are saved by grace, so we now serve by grace. And we'll look at this more when we get to 1 Corinthians, but this doesn't mean that we can't ask for gifts or pursue a, a new gifting in our lives, but Whatever God gives us, he is the one who ultimately decides and distributes which gifts his people receive. And this is not only true of what we receive, but how much of it we receive, right? Because what, is, what does it say in verse 7? It says, but grace was given to each one of us, what? According to the measure of Christ's gift. And so the, the only way I know to read this is that some people, when it comes to certain gifts, have more of a measure than other people. 
And this doesn't mean that the people with the greater gifts are more important or more valuable. It just means actually that they, by God's wisdom, have a different level of stewardship. Jesus kind of talks about this, I think, when he talks about the, the parable of the minus, right, where he gives to, to one, you know, uh, one and one two and one five. And he says, go and, and invest wisely, right? So, so it's not that, that one with a greater gift is, is better. It means that they have a different level of stewardship. And yet, whatever gift God has given us to whatever measure, we are all called to exercise those gifts and to fan them into flame. So you have a gift from God. It doesn't mean that you can't grow in that gift or see that gift increase through the work of the Holy Spirit as you walk in the Spirit and seek to fan those gifts into flame through the practice of the gifts. But then we also see this. That as this beautiful diversity unfolds, it's a unified diversity. That, that this is all given by Jesus from this place of triumph. I love what Paul does here. And we have to kind of peer in and really understand what he's doing when he quotes Psalm 68. Because there's more than meets the eye. How many of you know when you study the Bible, there's usually more going on than you just like, you read it once. Like, oh, that's nice. Okay, that means something for me. But you like, you keep digging and there's more there to unpack and discover when we study the Bible. So this quotation from Psalm 68 Verse 18, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, some of you are going to go right now because you love to study the Bible. You're going to go to Psalm 68. You're going to read it there and you're going to see in the ESV that it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he received gifts among men. But the Hebrew word to receive, it connotates a receiving in order to give. So there's no contradiction between what Paul is quoting out of Psalm 68 and what he's saying here in Ephesians 4. But what he, when he says here that Jesus ascended on high and led a host of captives, what he is referring to is the rulers and the authorities that he disarmed when he died on the cross. And as Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 2, he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in his death. And so this is a... a, a picture of victory. Just like ancient kings, when they would conquer their foes, they would lead a host of captives behind and they would divide the spoils among their people. This is what Jesus is doing because he has conquered sin, Satan, and death. And he has proven that the demonic forces of evil that he talks about in Ephesians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 6, that they have no power because Jesus is alive and now he reigns over everything at the right hand of God. Yes, we can get a little bit excited because Jesus has the victory. But that's what he's done for his enemies. What does he do for his friends? Not only does Jesus have the victory over his enemies, but because he has the victory, he now distributes gifts to his people. Jesus gives us gifts and, and he does so because he has the right to distribute them on the basis of his resurrected life and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And we didn't mean, uh, we weren't playing around, okay, we weren't joking. We said that every Sunday really is an Easter Sunday at Redemption Hill. That we celebrate the resurrected life of Jesus Christ every single Sunday. And it's right here in the text for us this week. That God has, because of the resurrection, now Jesus is distributing gifts among his 
people. And so I just, wanna, I just want you to stop and think about this for a moment. Okay, if, if God has given you a gift, we know there are all kinds of gifts. We're going to talk about all the gifts as we move through this series, okay. Whether you have a teaching gift or an encouragement gift or a mercy gift or a serving gift, okay. Whatever your gift is, just know that you have been given that gift from the place of victory. Remember the victory of Jesus as you go about and serve others. Because what this will do, it will remind you that I don't have to serve in like this cowardly way of like, oh man, like I wonder if this is going to help somebody. I wonder if this is going to bless somebody. I wonder if God's going to give me the strength that I need in this moment. No, Jesus has the victory. He's triumphed over our greatest foes. And now we serve in his victory, not for victory, but from victory. This is such good news. We don't have to be cowardly as we go out and we serve people in his name. But we can be confident and courageous because of the victory of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would encourage you this week, okay, write this down if you're taking notes, okay. Psalm 68. And and by the way, here's a little uh, interpretive tip for you. When you study the Bible and you see a quotation from the Old Testament, go and read the context, all right? Because usually they're not just quoting this little snippet and that's it, but they're quoting this snippet because the material around it is super relevant for us to understand what God's doing. And we see this in Psalm 68 because when he, this, the psalmist says that God has ascended and he's given gifts among his people. It goes on to talk about his power. And it recounts the power of God in the, the Exodus and the Old Testament and all the victories that he gave his people. And then in verse 68, I'm trying to memorize this this week. It says, he, the, the prayer is for God to summon your power, O God. The power, O God, by which you have worked for us. And then in verse 35, it says this, awesome is God from his sanctuary. The God of Israel, he is the one, look at this, he is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Do you see that? When, when, when God gives gifts, he gives his people strength and power to exercise those gifts. When Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus sure enough knows that I am the one who ascends and I'm dropping some gifts on my people and I'm dropping some gifts on my people so they'll have the strength and the power to live life to the fullest and to love everyone around them. Oh God, help me preach with some power today. I got a lot to cover. All right, so, so number one, number one, Jesus gifts us from the place of victory. But then we ask, how does God gift his church specifically? How does God gift his church specifically? And this is what Paul goes on to talk about in verse 11. This is what he says. And he, who is he? Jesus, that's right. When in doubt, always just say Jesus. All right, that's just a tip for you this morning, okay? All right, and he... Jesus, that's right, you're learning. Some of you are slow learning. It's okay, still get more coffee, please. All right, and he, all right, this is fun. You're doing better. All right, and he, Jesus, gave, who did Jesus give? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Paul goes on to give specific examples of the gifts that Jesus gave when he ascended to the right hand of the Father. 
we see that he uses the exact same verbiage or language in verse 11 that he used in verse 8, quoting Psalm 68. It says, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to man. And now in verse 11, it says what? And he gave. Paul highlights five groups of gifted people who are essential for equipping the church to be all God desires. Now, now, when we see the list of spiritual gifts, okay, next week Pastor Ray is going to go to First Peter 4. Then following that I'm going to go to Romans 12. Then we're going to spend uh, four weeks in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And when we go to these gifts lists, most of the time we see spiritual gifts that are specific gifts that are given to people. But here Paul talks about gifted people, not specific gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, we get both. We get specific gifts and specific gifted people in verse 28 of chapter 12. And what, what we learn here about these gifted people is they seem to have a leadership function in the church. We know this because as we keep reading in verse 12, it says that he's given these gifted people to equip the people of God for the work of God. So, so these are leaders in the church that are equipping God's people for the work of ministry. That's why some people refer to apest, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, as the fivefold gifts or the fivefold ministries. These seem like essential functions and roles that are to be carried out in every church in every age. These don't seem to be, to me, official offices of the church, but specific leadership roles in the church to help move the church forward. And so what I want to do before we jump into each one of these is just share two things, okay? Number one, this list is clearly not an exhaustive list. There are only five gifts mentioned here in Ephesians 4. We're going to see several more in Romans 12, and then we're going to see a lot more in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. But even when we take these five gifts and add about 15 other gifts in those other passages, you should know that the New Testament likely doesn't cover every single gift that God gives his people. I don't think that the gifts lists are exhaustive in the New Testament. But not only that, I hope you will see that these gifts, as Paul talks about these different leaders that are equipping the saints for different ministries, um, these are essential. And because each of these gifted leaders reflect the heart of God and the life of Christ, we should expect to all reflect them at some degree or another. Okay, so, so let me just give you an example real quick before we get into them. Um, not everyone is gifted as an evangelist. But many people have what we might say an evangelistic heart. And even if you're not gifted as an evangelist or have an evangelistic heart, guess what? You're still called to evangelize. You're still called to tell others about the good news. Why? Because this reflects the heart of God. This re reflects the life of Christ. And we can say that about every single one of these. So what I want to do is I want to take some time, right? We've kind of, I've been kind of like third, fourth year maybe. Okay, we're going to about to downshift to like first or second year. Because we're just going to take our time to understand these five different gifted leaders and the implications for church life. All right, so number one, apostles. What do apostles do? Apostles expand the mission. 
The word apostle means sent one. And most of the time when we think apostle, we think apostle Paul, we think apostle Peter, we think apostle John. And we think of the formal group of apostles that were commissioned by Jesus after being eyewitnesses of his resurrection to be the authoritative teachers of the church. And clearly that is a a group in the New Testament that most of the time when you see the word apostle, it is referring to this specific group of leaders in the early church who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection and who led the mission of the church in its earlier days. So we could call them apostles with a capital A, this official group of leaders. But when Paul uses the word apostle, he uses it in two different senses. So I just want to be upfront. You can make an argument. In fact, when I preached Ephesians chapter 2, back like six years ago in our church, I basically had the view of like, mm, apostles, I didn't really get into it, but it's like, mm, apostles, we don't really, do we see them today? I would probably say, well, yeah, I'm about to argue for missionaries, but um, you know, like, To say there are still apostles today, that kind of makes us nervous because the early apostles, the eyewitnesses of Jesus, were unique in the mission that he gave. But that was only one group. So I want to give an argument for why there are still apostles with a lowercase a today. Number one, the biblical evidence. We see that the word apostle means sent one. Paul uses it in these two senses, not only of this official group, but of those who were sent out by the church. We see him call Titus and those who are with him apostles, which is translated messenger in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. And he calls Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, verse 25, an apostle. So... We see evidence not only uh, here but also in 1 Corinthians 12 where he refers to apostles in the church of Corinth. But not only is there biblical evidence, we should also think about the purpose. Why would Jesus give apostles to the church for only one generation? If this essential, if they were essential for the health and the mission of the church in the first century, why would we expect that he would not give apostles for multiple generations even until he returns? Added to that, we find that apostles, meaning sent one, refers to what we most often call missionaries. Where do you find the word missionary in the Bible? Anyone know? That's right, you don't find it. (laughs) Our word missionary is not in the Bible, and yet we all believe in missionaries. We just went through Multiply March, and we are giving and praying and supporting missionaries. The church what? The church is what? Send out. So the word missionary comes from the Latin root missio, which comes from the Greek word what? Apostolos. Modern day missionaries seem to be those that are gifted leaders in the church, gifted by Jesus to go out and to do the work of mission. But not only that. I think that probably outside of the the biblical evidence, what is the most compelling reason to believe in apostles today from Psalm 68, Jesus giving these gifted leaders to his church for the building up of not just one generation, but multiple generations of his church is this, is that all of them reflect the heart of Jesus. 
What is Jesus called in Hebrews chapter 3? He's called what? The great apostle of our faith. Just as Jesus is the good shepherd, and he is rabbi, the teacher, and he is the greatest evangelist, and he is prophet, priest, and king of the church. So Jesus is the apostle, the sent one from the Father who now is sending us out. Should we not expect to see visible, tangible expressions of Jesus in this way as he is continuing to send out his people to further his mission? And so my conclusion and our conclusion as pastors is that God is still raising up, gifting some of his followers to be these missionary apostles who were going out. Now listen, it's probably better to, for the sake of not being confusing like the capital A apostles with the lowercase apostles. We're going to most of the time talk about missionaries. But when it comes to how Christ is gifting his church, we see that he is sending out these apostles to do his work. So how are apostles now gifts to the church today? They extend the gospel into new territories and start new churches. The, the, when we think about church planters, and you hear us talk about church planting, we moved to Boston to start a church. We were sent out from our church in Raleigh, North Carolina to start a new work. We were missionaries to Boston. There was a level of apostolic gifting on our team to start a new work here in Boston. Apostles often are full of vision. They see the big picture. They dream about the future. They love to start new things. It's not just starting new churches, but if you're in a group maybe with, a, with an apostle, they're going to say, you know what, it's time to expand. It's time to start a new group. Oh, what if we started this new ministry to represent Jesus in our city and we reach people with his love in these new ways. They're connectors and influencers. They're not afraid of challenges. They often possess, possess the gift of faith. They reflect the words of Jesus when he said, I already said it, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We see biblical examples like Paul and Peter. They're everyday reflections of apostles because of God's common grace where we see uh, entrepreneurs and innovators and visionaries. I'm not saying they are spiritually gifted as apostles, but they reflect the heart of God in their creative work. And the key question that apostles ask, there's a key question for each of these I want to give you. Um, they're asking, are people taking the gospel into new areas? Are people taking the gospel into new areas? But listen, even as people are gifted in these ways, we also need to be aware of some warnings we need to guard ourselves against. How many of you have heard leadership wisdom that says a leader's greatest strength can also become his greatest weakness? Anyone heard that? Well, that's true for these gifted leaders in the church as well. Some warnings for apostles. Sometimes they push too hard or too fast. Apostles are shouting, let's go. Let's take another hill. And people are saying, man, we just got here. Like, can, can we just like get a little drink of water and kind of relax for a minute? You're like, you definitely, apostle, whatever your name is, like, you need to take a deep breath along with the rest of us. Apostles can sometimes take risks without, without considering wise counsel and even compromise the vision to please people. That's apostles. Apostles expand the mission. What about prophets? Prophets communicate God's heart. Prophets communicate God's heart. Prophets know God's truth 
and communicate what he reveals. Prophets are the best listeners in a church. They listen for God's voice and then serve as his mouthpiece, whether we're talking about reading the pages of scripture and calling us back to what the Bible says, or they receive some kind of spontaneous message from God that God wants them to give with a particular person or group of people. Prophets are concerned with God's holiness. They call people back to righteousness and judgment. They often challenge the status quo. We see this in the Old Testament prophets, right? They're calling people back. Hey, get rid of your idolatry. Get rid of your evil ways. Come back to God's way. Let's do things as he has called us. They not only want to know what people are doing, but they want to know why people are doing it. They reflect the words of Jesus when he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We see prophets all over the Bible in the Old Testament, New Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, Agabus in Acts chapter 21. Some everyday reflections of, uh, of prophets uh, could be activists or maybe many of those who work in justice-based non-prophets. And the key question that prophets are asking is this. Are we hearing God's voice and responding? Are we hearing God's voice and responding? Some of the dangers for prophets to watch out for are that they can be prideful. Like, like they, they think they're hearing from God and most of the time they are. And most of the time they're hearing clearly. But sometimes they don't hear clearly or maybe misinterpret something and pass something on. And so they always think they're right. So we got to watch out for pride. And we also have to watch that our concern for justice doesn't devolve into mere complaining. Prophets want things to be right. This is how they reflect the heart of God. And yet sometimes we can be so concerned with wanting what is right that we complain and we grumble about what isn't right in an unhealthy way. So apostles, prophets, now evangelists. Evangelists proclaim the gospel. Evangelists live to tell the good news. They communicate the gospel regularly and effectively. They love to invite people to follow Jesus. They love to invite people to church. They love to see new people find out about who God is. They're not only carrying a burden for their close friends and family, but they actually carry a burden for everyone to know Jesus. Like they want their whole entire neighborhood to find out about Jesus. They want to like, how many people are in Boston? Okay, like roughly 6 million people in greater Boston. Like we want all greater 6 million people to know about Jesus in our area. Evangelists reflect the words of Jesus when he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, those who have wandered far from home and are not back at home with their God. Biblical examples, we see Philip in the book of Acts chapter 8. We see Jesus sending out the 72 in Luke chapter 10. Everyday reflections of evangelists in just the common grace world. We see salespeople and social media influencers and communicators. But the key question that evangelists are asking is this. Are people hearing the good news of Jesus? Are people hearing the good news of Jesus and following him? Some warnings for evangelists. Maybe God has given you an evangelistic heart. Maybe you're just like, hey, I really care about people knowing Jesus. Maybe God is raising you up as an evangelist. But here's what you need to watch out for. 
oftentimes evangelists reduce the message of accepting, following Jesus to simply accepting Jesus and then neglecting discipleship. So in other words, it's like, hey, follow Jesus, but once you follow Jesus, like, we're just going to let you kind of figure it out. Rather than walking with a person who receives Christ and discipling them by training them in everything that Jesus has taught us. Oftentimes evangelists can have attractive personalities can, and they can intentionally or unintentionally make it about them more than Jesus. And then shepherds. What about shepherds? Shepherds care for the community. The word shepherds here is often translated pastors. Shepherds are caring individuals. They create nurturing environments where people can learn to follow Jesus. They're sympathetic, compassionate. They're willing to bear the burdens of others. Shepherds provide a calm and a safe presence. Oftentimes shepherds, they're just, they'll just sit with you, not just for like five minutes to hear your problems. Like they'll sit with you and then they'll sit with you some more. And they'll sit with you for hours just because they care so much. Shepherds often provide encouragement and wise counsel. They love small groups. They love connecting relationally. They reflect the words of Jesus when he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Shepherds reflect the heart of Christ as they serve people in these ways. We see biblical examples like Barnabas and James, the brother of Jesus, who was the shepherd and pastor of the early church in Jerusalem. Uh, we obviously see examples in pastors of churches throughout the world. And everyday reflections of those with shepherding hearts are counselors and social workers and caregivers. Shepherds are asking the question, are people being cared for and shown God's love? But as we think about warnings for shepherds, we need to watch out because sometimes shepherds can be so full of grace that they neglect sharing the truth people need. Sometimes shepherds can become insular, only focused on the needs of those inside the church to the neglect of those outside the church. And closely related to shepherds are this fifth and final group known as teachers. In fact, if you study the Greek, there is only one definite article before the words shepherds and teachers, which leads some people to think that the word should be hyphenated with shepherds, shepherds teachers, Okay, um, so some people believe in not a five-fold gift, but a four-fold gift. If you don't believe in apostles and prophets, then you believe in a three-fold gift probably. If not functionally, practically, some churches, a lot of churches are just like a two-fold gift or like a one-fold, like pastors, okay. But I uh, hope I haven't confused you. God, give me a teaching gift here, all right. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what I'm saying is, is there is only one definite article before these two words. So some people think shepherds, teachers. I think there are two groups of gifted leaders. I know because the Bible says that if you're a shepherd who serves as a pastor, which I don't believe that all gifted shepherds uh, are necessarily pastors. I believe that part of uh, the gifted leaders who are shepherds are definitely pastors. And if you're called to be a pastor, then you must have the gift of teaching. But if you have the gift of teaching, it doesn't mean that you're called necessarily to be a pastor or a shepherd. So what do teachers do? Teachers explain the word. Teachers teach. 
They excel in explaining the meaning and significance of the scripture for our daily lives. They love spending time studying and reflecting on scripture. They get excited about theology and books and uh, learning environments. They have an ability to synthesize loads of information and then communicate it in an effective way. Teachers are the ones that are in your community group. They're like constantly quoting another Bible verse, right? Like they can't wait to tell you where that's found in the scripture. Oh, that's Psalm, whatever, or that's Exodus 14. And like, so they're quoting scripture. They're, they love to start Bible studies and dig into the scriptures with others. They reflect the words of Christ when he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We find examples all over the Bible. We just studied the book of uh, Nehemiah. We saw Ezra in Nehemiah chapter 8 teaching the word of God. We see Priscilla and Aquila, this mighty couple who taught Apollos how to interpret the scriptures in a more effective way. We see everyday examples uh, of and reflections of, of teachers uh, through common grace, through professors and teachers and trainers and coaches. The key question that teachers are asking is this, are people going deeper in scripture and applying it to their lives? But the warnings that teachers need to watch out for are this, scripture can become an end in and of itself. In other words, like just give us more head knowledge, we want to know what the facts are, we want to study the commentaries, we want to look this word up in Bible dictionaries, but, oh, it's, it's for more than just learning information. It's God gives us truth so that we will apply that truth to our lives. Teachers can value head knowledge over life transformation. And so this is apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. They are all given to the church of Christ to build up the body of Christ and advance the mission of Christ in the world. And what we need to understand, why Paul talks about them one after another and presents them together and says that all of these are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry is this, because all five belong together. We need all five functioning faithfully in the life of a church for us to be all that God has called us to be. Apostles need shepherds, right? They're like, take new ground. They're like, no, care for the people that are already here, right? And we need both. Evangelists need teachers. Hey, let's go share the gospel. But who's going to teach them about everything that Jesus taught them to, uh, to, to do? It's the teachers, right? So we need one another in the body of Christ. Jesus in his wisdom and grace gives us a diverse group of gifted leaders. But why does he do so? Why does he do so? And we see this in verses 12 through 16. Paul goes on and he says this. He, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for this reason. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but by human cunning, 
by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Jesus builds his church through spiritual gifts. This is why God gives us, Jesus gifts us these gifted spiritual leaders and fills his people with spiritual gifts. It is so that the church can be built up. We see in verse 12 where Paul begins to unpack the why. And he says, this is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. The word equip here means to supply what is lacking. There are some things that are deficient in our walk with Christ. There are some things that we don't understand. There are some things that we're not quite living yet. And so we need those with apostolic giftings and prophetic giftings and evangelistic giftings and shepherd giftings and teaching giftings to show us what it looks like to reflect the heart of God as they move out and serve others and embody what we find in Scripture. We equip by teaching and training and modeling. And, and, and these gifted leaders, who do they equip? They equip all of the saints. So if, if you follow Jesus, you are a saint. A saint is not just some special, like, you know, hero of church history who's, like, you know, made the top 100 list of saints throughout. Like, no, no, no. When the Bible talks about a saint, it's talking about just anyone who follows Jesus. And so these gifted leaders are given so that everyone in the church will be equipped for what? For the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. You see, a lot of times we, we like, even if you've heard this before, I mean, let's just keep it real. Let's be honest, right? You've heard this before and you're like, oh, ministry's for everyone. But then it's like, kind of like, practically, functionally, it's like, I mean, it's kind of for everyone, but it's really for the pastors, right? I mean, this is, this is how we often think. So this, is, this is often how we live our life. It's like, okay, ministry is for the spiritually elite, but not for everyone. But God is saying, no, 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 ministry, serving others for their good, it's for everyone. So, so if you follow Jesus, he has a game plan for you. This is what Paul talked about in, at the end of uh, the, the section in Ephesians 2 where he says you are God's workmanship. The, the word there, the Greek word is poema. You are God's poem. You are his masterpiece. And he has created you in a masterful way. Why? So that you can walk in the good works that God prepared for you beforehand. God has great works for you. This is why we're going to spend seven weeks just absorbing what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts. Because God didn't save you just for you to sit on the sidelines and watch just a few people kind of engage in his mission. No, he wants you. He loves you. He has a plan for you. He wants to use you to encourage and build others up. He wants to use you to go out and reflect his heart to the world. He wants you to go get your hands dirty and serve other people. Maybe just sit with them and listen. Maybe offer an encouraging word. Whatever it is, God has a plan for you. He gives these leaders to equip the saints for all of the work 
of ministry. Listen, I love our church. When people ask me, hey, Tanner, how's your church? What, what would you tell me about your church? Like, one of the things I always like, we have a church full of servants. We have a church full of people who love to serve people. Okay, we are not a perfect church. But we are a great church. I really believe that. And why? It's because not just a few people, not just a couple leaders, okay, but everyone is seeking to be in the game, involved in God's mission. But let's hear it loudly and clearly. If we are to be an even greater church, it means that we need to increase in these things all the more. We need to be equipped. We need to step out and serve in our giftings. And why we do this, Paul talks about it in verse 13. He says this is all for building up the church until we attain what? We attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, we have one mind and one heart as we follow Jesus through our shared trust in him. And then it's the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. The Greek says to a full-grown man. In other words, Paul is trying to contrast a full-grown man with a little child that he goes on and talks about in verse 14. He says, we're not trying to live like children, okay, but we're trying to grow and mature. And this is, why, this is the wildest miracle, okay? Please hear this today, all right? The wildest miracle, I believe, in the Bible, after someone moves someone from death to life, spiritually dead to spiritually alive, is that now he takes these spiritually alive people and he is changing us into the very same image of Jesus Christ. So listen, we're a church that believes in miracles. We believe that God still moves in signs and wonders, that he can heal people and give words out of nowhere where people are like, what did that person just say to me? They don't know me, but it's like they got a direct message from God for me. And we're saying, yeah, like, we believe in that. But those miracles are not greater than the miracle of us becoming more and more and more like Jesus. This is, this is what God wants for us. He wants us to grow and progress every single day as we walk with Christ. This is to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. And this happens as verse 15 says, we speak the truth in love to one another. We, we come back to the word. I mean, all of these fivefold gifts, by the way, all of these fivefold ministries, they all have to do with the word of God. God has revealed his truth. Apostles take it into new areas. Prophets speak and call us back. Evangelists tell people who have never, uh, don't know the gospel or yet believe the gospel. Shepherds are embodying the truth and caring and guiding people into the truth. Teachers are going deeper, teaching people the truth. So we speak the truth in love, and this is all for what? Paul wraps it up in verse 16. He says this. When each part is working properly. Okay, you're a part. You are a part of this work that God is doing. When each part is working properly, it makes the body, the church, grow so that it builds itself up in love. Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stop my church. We're on the offense. I mean, we're taking the ball to the hole like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart and the Celtics are up 3-0 and we get talking about a new series. Well, we need a new series for the Celtics because the Nets don't want none. All right, but uh, we're on the offense. 
we are, Jesus is building his church, but in his mysterious ways, he has invited us to be a part of the building of his church. God has a plan for you. Don't just come today. Keep coming back. Keep tuning in because you need to understand that when Jesus rose up off the ground, I mean, th- I mean, consider the ascension just rising up off the earth and flying into the sky to the right hand of the Father. He gave gifts to his people and that, if you follow Jesus, includes you. He has gifts for you to exercise and we are going to walk in the gifts that God gives and we are going to celebrate them and we are going to see our church get stronger and stronger and the mission advance further and and better as we walk with Christ. We said at the beginning of this year, I just want to share with you as we bring our time to a close, what we see this year as we seek to live empowered lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, as we operate in the gifts that he has given us. We see a church full of people gifted by God for the good of others. As each person's unique design is discovered, lived, and celebrated with equal excitement, we will collectively take thousands of joyful steps to serve others. You're going to be a part of this countless deeds of mercy, kindness, hospitality, healing, teaching, and encouragement, and more are going to lead to story after story of the supernatural becoming natural and God's love going public in every corner of our church and city. Redemption Hill will be a church where everyone lives empowered everywhere. So what I want to do is this. I want to invite Pedro and the team to come up, and I want to lead us in a time of prayer. And, and I would just ask you as we, as we move into this new season, where we, I mean, in our 10 years, I mean, shame on Pastor Tanner probably in, in leadership, okay, but uh, we've never spent seven weeks walking through the spiritual gifts like this. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I can't wait to see what you're going to discover about the heart of God and how he has gifted you to serve and to represent his kingdom in the world. And so now as we just bow our heads and pray, I want to encourage you, just ask God, God, what do you have for me? God, what do you want to teach me? God, how do you want to work in my life? God, what are the gifts that you have for me? What are the gifts that I'm going to discover? Lord, maybe there's a new gift that you want to give me so I can serve and advance your kingdom in the world and build up your church. Just in a posture of humility, just say, God, whatever it is, whatever it is, I'm ready to receive it. Whatever it is, God, I want to walk in it. I want to be all that you've called me to be because... God, I know you've made me a part of this church and your universal church all over the world that you're working through these people to to glorify your name. So Father, we ask that as we move forward today and over these coming weeks, God, that you would do a special work. We are confident Jesus, because you reign above it all, that you are still gifting your people for the good of others. And so God, we can't wait to continue to see more and more the supernatural becoming natural. Your love going public in every corner of our church and city where not one person is not touched by your love through the gifts of others. 
God, we don't want people left behind. We don't want people that are, the, that are just kind of, you know, floating around in spiritual aimlessness. No, we want everyone to grow to be more and more like Jesus. So, God, we're asking you to reveal and raise up apostolic giftings and prophetic giftings and evangelistic giftings and shepherding gifts and teaching gifts among us. God, we want to be all that you've called us to be, and we need you to do this work in us. So, God, empower us, Lord. Empower us, God. Help us to see as you see, God. Help us to to move as you would have us move. All in the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray through Christ. Amen.